everyone, and welcome to the latest episode of Are You Kidding Me? I'm Naomi Schaefer-Riley, a senior fellow at the American Enterprise Institute. And I am Ian Rowe, also a senior fellow at AEI. And today we are excited to be joined by actually one of our former colleagues at AEI, Catherine Stevens. She is the founder and CEO of a new think tank called the Center on Child and Family Policy. Welcome, Catherine. Thanks for joining us. Thanks so much. Catherine, great to see you. We wanted to talk to you about this new venture. This is really exciting. It's something that obviously uh, Ian and I care a lot about, and we are such big admirers of your research generally. Um, you wrote in a piece when you launched this uh, very recently called said saying, uh, the early childhood field is at a pivotal moment facing unprecedented political momentum and opportunity for change. But you also said that you think the potential of early childhood policy to help America's young children is hindered by a lack of political and ideological balance in the field. So, Catherine, tell us what you think is the potential here, and then we will get into some of the challenges you think we're facing. Thanks so much, um, Naomi. You, you, I appreciate both your your enthusiasm hugely. Um, I also want to note that um, I'm thrilled that Ian is on Center on Child and Family Policy's advisory council, which we're delighted Honored. about. Um, so, yeah, so the potential is, um, I see as follows, as you guys know, there's been a, um, a, a huge, um, growth in the, um, scientific research on early brain development over the last 10, 20, 30 years. And what it's told us What's shown us is what I think kind of common sense has suggested for a long time, um, but that the earliest years of life are of profound importance in the human lifespan. Those years really do lay the groundwork for everything that follows. That's not a left-wing talking point. That's actually true. Um, so the first thing is we know a lot more now about how important early the earliest years are. The second thing is that knowledge has really been um, uh, spreading. So that both the public and policymakers are, are, are getting that this matters a lot. And along with that, I think is a feeling that it's a worthwhile um, area of life to be, um, to be um, focusing on more specifically with policy. So that is the opportunity that, that this is, this matters a lot, that people are beginning to understand that it matters a lot. And there's really growing interest in improving policy around the, the earliest years of life. The, um, the, the, um, I don't, the difficulty that I see is that early childhood policy in general has long been dominated by 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 Democrats, by left-leaning advocacy groups. And the the right has really been inadequately engaged. So there's not the kind of breadth of debate and discussion and policy ideas in early childhood than there's even been, say, in K-12. It's a much broader field than K-12. And the result of that has been that we've really narrowed our focus 
uh, policy focus uh, to non-parental group programs as the policy, the primary policy focus in early childhood, um, meaning childcare and pre-K. Um, so that's most of our policy, a lot of a great deal of our policy discussion and the largest numbers of dollars that are that are that are um, that are allocated or talked about are for funding childcare, Head Start, and pre-K. And we've almost we've almost come to think of that as early childhood, but that's just a fraction of the kinds of policies we need to be looking at in the in the in in the early childhood space. And my concern is that 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 focus on non-parental group uh, care is uh, kind of squeezing out other really important um, things we need to be thinking about. And, and Catherine, could you just summarize what have we learned about neurological development in the just, just to just to give our audience a little bit more just what because it is common sense that you know, your brains are developing early, but what is it that we've learned, particularly in ages zero to three, that's so important that does have implications for what happens afterwards and the effectiveness or ineffectiveness of interventions after that, if we don't really focus on what's happening in the earliest of years? Thanks, Anne, that's a terrific question. Um, so in a, in, a, in a quick nutshell, um, the, when babies are born, uh, they're born with about 100 billion brain cells, which is about the same brain cells as um, we all have, grown-ups have. The difference, however, between a baby's brain and a grown-up's brain is that our brains function with our 100 billion brain cells, or however many we have left at this point in life, uh, we, around that, um, that they, they function through the connections between them. So these 100 billion brain cells are connected through trillions and trillions of connections, like little wires between the cells that are called synapses. So that's, and that's how the brain functions. When a baby is born, they have the 100 billion brain cells, but there are very, very few connections between those cells. So the early brain development process is um, is literally the process through which those, those brain cells are being connected through these new connections are, being, are, are developing at an, an, extraordinary, an astounding rate. It's, um, they, they, they estimate around a million new connections per second in a, in a baby's brain. And the way the driver of those connections is, or it's, it's the way that a brain connections are developed are not like, say, a plant growing. With a plant, you're a little plant, or you plant a seed, you put it on the windowsill, you water it, and it automatically grows into a little plant, right? You don't have to do anything special. That's not how our brains develop. Our brains develop in response to driven by interactions with our environment. And more than anything, the, um, the human and personal interactions that we have drive early development. And, though, and, and when I say early brain development, I mean 
all of the capacities of our brain. So a tiny baby that's lying there making, you know, baby sounds to, to, to their father and the father's making baby sounds back, that back, which seems really mundane is driving the brain development that lays a strong foundation for cognitive functioning, for social emotional functioning, for a whole range of, of, of adult capacities. A quick question. So uh, you mentioned earlier when you were talking about this initially um, that somehow the idea that all of these things forming um, and and the the idea that brain development from zero to three is so important and affects the rest of our lives has become a left-wing talking point. So I, I was wondering if you could kind of talk about how that happened. Like how how did the left sort of make that happen and how did the right kind of you know, take this approach where they're sort of abdicating this whole area of research and and even being willing to talk about these years. Well, you know, I I don't I I I hope it's not seen as much as a you know as a complete left wing talking point. I worry sometimes that it can be dismissed as that just because that the, 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 the what I just described to you. Um, which, by the way, starts prenatally. So there's a lot of evidence for extraordinary brain development in the womb, driven by um, influenced by. There's a, fascinating research now showing that it's influenced by if a mother is, is very anxious or depressed, that can have a, a negative in, impact on development. So. The, the, but this, this this extraordinary developmental period is, is you know, summarized in advocacy as research shows the first five years of life or the first three years of life are the most important on the whole develop you know development and that's but and that is true but that is often the first sentence in a paragraph that goes on to say and that's why we need universal pre-k so it's like okay let me get this straight <laughs> the first five years of life. Are the first most important in 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 the human develop in human development, and that's why all four year olds have to go to school. Like what? And so y- you can ask questions about the second part of that without right. throwing out the first part. Right. And I think, but it's perfectly understandable how people get a lot of information. And we saw the same thing actually, you know, like on a hyper level with COVID. You know, people get a lot of information. Some of it's correct. Some of it's kind of not. Maybe whatever. And they just get really overwhelmed and start uh, shutting it all out. And that's what I don't want to have happen in early childhood. Well, that well, that seems to be the issue. It's not because I wouldn't say people, you know, center right or more conservative um, have abandoned uh, early development. It's just, as you say, the first part of that clause, everyone agrees. It's the second part of the clause, because if you're, always is, well, then we need some kind of government intervention, heads pre-k these are these are um public policy interventions where my sense is more center-right people are saying well the people who create the environment of prenatal you know natal and zero to three are parents and and so more conservative policy is, is about how do we strengthen kids being born into stable married to parent families where, where there aren't easy policy solutions. So can you talk about that? It just feels like, early, I think universally everyone 
interventions that actually work are not necessarily the kinds of government interventions that are often put forth to the left. And yet harder to achieve right. more organic sort of family-based interventions that time and memorial says is, is better for kids. Right, exactly. So I would say that kind of big picture, there are two huge areas of the world that I, I worry are, are, are getting or will, would get pushed out by focusing exclusively on, say, child care, Head Start Pre-K. Um, the first, which you've just talked, and most important is um, family. That is, the research is overwhelmingly clear that no matter where a child is, what kind of program a child is in, a family has by far the most powerful influence on a child's development. And as I said, that start that can start um, prenatally. Um, the second area, though, that I just want to mention quickly that I think is very promising in a you know low-hanging fruit kind of way is early health. So we have already in place a massive healthcare system. Um, over 40% of babies in this country are born on Medicaid. Just about every single one of those babies comes in contact with this already existing system. So if we, if we, in, we've been thinking, uh, we've been think when we've been thinking about early childhood, we've been thinking more in kind of early, in terms of early school, right? Um, sort of sending them to school earlier and earlier and earlier, there is a new mantra, um, quote, pu public education starting at birth. So, but if we shifted our focus in terms of big public systems, just to address that first before getting to your, to your, your specific point, Ian, if we started thinking instead of focusing on, on the school system, if we started thinking about the healthcare system and started thinking about how to improve prenatal care for um, for, 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 for poor w women, how to improve the um, early well baby care, specifically in the Medicaid system. I think there's a lot of, there's, my, there's, 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 we would be able to make improvements that would not cost much more or maybe not, not more at all. And we're just not really, we've not something we've looked at in terms in the, in when we're thinking about early childhood. So I think that's something that we really, I'm really excited about working on. Um, with respect to the family issue, as I said, families are, they have, kind of like it or not, the most powerful influence on children's development. That's how it is. And th there are a number of, 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 of factors that are uh, necessary to provide a, 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 a healthy, loving, nurturing, developmental environment for a young child, and having two adults, a stable um, couple in the household, um, is, is, a, is, is a one factor that makes those others much less, more likely to happen, right? So, you know, I think the, um, so, so in terms of the, the easiest policy Sort of a, a solution in 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 this respect is is as follows: there there's a large number of young uh, families that have two parents, where one of them, and in some increasingly these days, it could be the father, 
want to stay home with their with their child for a year or two or three or even four, but can't because they both have to work or they'll go into poverty. And so the, the, the solution that's sort of on the table for that is, well, we'll have you know, high quality government funded, publicly funded child care. So you both go to work and you have this place that you in theory will feel good about dropping your baby off at, right? There, that's, that just seems so unfortunate that if you have someone who, a family where there are two parents and one of them wants to stay home, we should be tr- we should be trying m- harder to to make it possible for one of them to stay home so that's that's one group of people and another group of people is also pretty clear but but less optimal for the child and that are is single parents and um Ian, this has obviously been a big focus of your work they um a, there, there are many too many children born to single parents in this country. Once they're born, our expectation is that the parents you know, hold their end up, meaning they have to support the family financially, they have to work. In, in, for those families, the, 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 the very low income, they're often, as, as you know, young women, um, who um, who had a baby, you know, they're, they're, they, the baby's born to unmarried parents and living, let's say, with a mother. Um, that is a group of children that we should be focusing on in terms of ensuring that the child is in really high quality care. That's that that's we can that's where value added is going to be the greatest for childcare. Um, and so instead of focusing on universal solutions, we know that that specific group of children, um, we can really improve outcomes for that specific group of children by providing much better early care environments. Catherine, I just want to, sorry to interrupt. I just wanted to go back before we get too far away from it to the, to your policy ideas about um, uh, on the health side of things. Um, so you mentioned that, um, you know, you think a lot more could be done in the area of prenatal health and things like that. And I was wondering, I mean, it, it seems to a lot of people probably on the outside that there's been a very big focus on prenatal health now. And obviously part of the problem is, you know, getting women to take advantage of what's available there. Um, but what, what do you mean? Uh, are you talking about kind of like more parenting education? Are you talking about kind of more um, nurse visiting in the home during the prenatal period or the initial period after birth? Like what, what do you, where do you think we could see the biggest gains from and, you know, are we really not doing that or are people just not taking advantage of it? Well, so from what I understand, this is something Naomi, that, that I've just started working on fairly recently. Um, but, but this is an example of the kind of thing that seems so promising to me. So if you're on Medicaid, you're, um, you're, when you're pregnant, your prenatal visit is 15 minutes. So the doctor has to bill in Medicaid world for these 15 minute increments. So 
if you think about it, let's say you're, the, the, rates of, the rates of depression, anxiety, and clinical level depression in low income single mothers, say, which is going to be a substantial percentage of those who are on Medicaid, is estimated at 25 to 40%, right? This is, a, this is people who are feeling very, very um, uh, um, just, just kind of at their, their, their rope. Overwhelmed their rope, by their right? circumstance. Yeah. Overwhelmed. Thank you. Thank you. Exactly. Completely overwhelmed. That's right. And so here you're going in and you've got this 15 minute appointment. You go in the doctor, you know, there's just barely time to ask a couple of questions and there's just, there's not a relationship there that's going to function very well in terms of a sort of support that could make a difference in, in your sense of a, you, you're, you're the what word you, you like agency in your own life. So there's an amazing program. You guys may know, be familiar with this called, um, called the, the Centering Institute. And what they've done is they've pooled, they've created basically group prenatal care by pooling six to eight women in a group and combining their 15 minutes, right? So for the same exact cost, you can have a meeting for an hour and a half or two hours, build ex not costing one penny more, where all of the nurses and the doctors that would have been using their time to see these women are meeting with them as a group. Um, and then and the program raises money and also puts in, um, you know, sort of social worker, coach sorts of people. And so that's just that it, for some women, that just makes a lot more sense, right? You're developing relationships between the women. They're, they're training the women to take their own vital signs. So that's not, so that's part of what the doctor takes like five minutes, like taking the woman's blood pressure and asking her questions. So they train the women to do that kind of thing for themselves. Um, and they, and then they, that they, they have a, a postnatal program where the women are bringing their babies and the doctor just will take one baby away at a time and do a quick exam, but the focus is the group. And so there's something that makes so much sense, but unless, unless, you know, somebody had been thinking about how can we improve this? How can we make this work better for mothers and for the babies, um, they're bringing into the world? we never would have come up with that. Um, so it's those kinds of things that I think we need to be looking at because the issue really isn't, you know, the, the issue, the, the, the issue is really um, it's a, a one of needing to the social and emotional support. And then after the baby is born, helping the, the mother understand her enormously important role in her baby's life. And use your word again, and to give her a much greater sense of agency in her role as a mother. And I think that is not easy to do, but at the, as, as things stand now, we're kind of doing nothing up towards that. And so my sense is, it, we would be able to do a lot better pretty easily. And then there would, then after that, we would hit sort of the, you know, the difficult level. Um, but I think there's a lot of low hanging fruit mm. in, in this. Um, 
so to go back in to go back to your question of of the the, the, the you know the conditions on into into which children are born this is something you work so so much on you know, that's sort of a preventative thing, like helping, you know, sort of this, it's very upstream, you know, prenatal is upstream and, 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 and making sure that, that, that people who are having children are ready to have them is more upstream than that. And that's the best solution of all. Um, and, you know, the, the, the only solution I, so in other words, we, sh we need our, our society needs to be focusing much more on Getting people the message that it, it, it's a, they, they need to be ready to have children before they have them. Yeah. And right. And that, 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 that being in a stable two parent home, being, you don't have to be rich, but you just sort of financially have your feet on the ground that, that, that you're hurting yourself. And most importantly, you're hurting this baby. If you're bringing a child into the world when when you really aren't ready to do that and that's an education issue you know in the and it's 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 something you know i know ian you've 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 taught this and i think it was junior high school is that correct that you've taught mm -hmm. the the, the what, what you call success the success sequ sequence right and now it's being taught in high school but yes mm -hmm. yes i mean that is that and then uh you know of course it would be great if there were like I don't know, TV shows that had people thinking they were going to have a baby and then not having one, <laughs> you know, because they realized they weren't ready. That'd be great. But um, it's kind of like a boring plot. So I'm not quite sure we're going to get it's to see that. It's not boring. So, um, so when, when you think of your, when you think of your new think tank, are you as equally focused on trying to figure out policy solutions to this or, or, and, or the cultural shifts that have to happen to get to create the kinds of environments that we've been trying for a long time through policy interventions. Well, you know, I think you know DC policy research organizations are not well situated to shape culture, uh, but I what I would love to do is elevate people who are doing those things um, and, 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 and support however possible efforts in that direction. Uh, because it's, it's, um, it, it's just, it's just hard to know how to turn around the, these. I mean, the numbers are, I think overall now 40% of children overall are born to unmarried parents. And is it 80% of, African-American children are born to unmarried parents. Is that correct? Well, it's about 70% in the black community. I mean, what I, my, I yeah. particularly focus on women 24 and under because we're, we're now right. in a more complex society where right. older women are having children, um, you know, independently. But when you have women right. 24 right. and under, those numbers are about 71, 72% of all babies born to women 24 and under are outside of marriage. And of that group, nearly 40%, um, it's at least their second child. So, and, and, and those kinds of environments are the ones, not a guarantee, but those are the kinds of environments that, in my view, aren't creating the kind of nurturing, supporting system that you're talking about in terms, in terms of the kinds of brain development 
that is really necessary for children. So the question is, what do we do about that um, problem? Because it's hard from a policy perspective. There, there's some interventions, which I, maybe this is your chance to talk more about. Because even the, the idea of, you just said, um, for two parents who, you know, one wants to work, what's the intervention there? Is that, are we subsidizing uh, young parents so that they can get paid while they're um, not working? Like, what are some of the ideas? Because this is, what you were talking about to me is the most central issue that we, we, a lot of us spend time trying to solve the symptoms of, but what you're talking right. about is central. So the question is, what, what, what are the policy interventions, I guess, you're really advocating for? And what can we do around the, around the cultural challenge? Well, for the, for the, 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 the simplest, to me, the simplest, um, most straightforward, easiest problem to solve is two parents, they're both working, they wanted to have a kid, they're ready to have a kid. One of them actually wants to stay home. And the only reason that's not happening is because if someone quits their job, they'll go into poverty. And, you know, I, I, I would, I, we could think about subsidizing the wages of one of the workers, sort of like the, you know, the EITC, where there's the, the person who's still in the workforce is getting a big subs in a big addition to their wages um, for you know X period of time, a year, two years, whatever. And and so you so number one, it's completely tied to work because you literally get it and sort of add it onto your paycheck, let's just say, right? It could be a state that does this. Um, number two, it's all verifiable, right? The two people they were working, this was their income, here's the birth certificate. One of them is at home with this baby, and the other one is is instead of spending fifteen or twenty thousand dollars for 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 them to put their kid in childcare, since one of them wants to be home with their child, we use money to make that possible. So I realize that that you know that that's not the kind of thing one just waves waves one magic wand and it happens, but it really seems worthwhile to do everything we possibly can to help lower income working people raise their own children if they want to. Another idea along those lines is the uh, uh, policy brief you might remember I uh, did with Matt Whitinger a couple of years ago, which was allowing young parents to take, whether married or single, to take an advance on their child tax credit um, to pull those dollars from up to when the child was 17 back into the earliest years to give parents more agency in deciding how and by whom their young children will be raised. And that actually would it that would that 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 plan would enable parents to stay home to enable one of the parents to stay home for two or three years that the dollars actually add up um, and it would also work for single parents. Um, they, they would be able to stay home and under some circumstances. They would be able, it would be enough money that in the child tax credit that they would be getting anyway over the years, instead of dribbling it out over the years, it would be kind of concentrated in the early years. They'd be able to stay home. Um, 
And in subsequent years, because it's tied to child tax credit, is tied to work, or it has been historically. And then in subsequent years, they would be able to, uh, uh, it would be sufficient to enable them to reduce from full-time to part-time, for example, um, which would also make a very big difference for, for some um, say single parents who really want to be raising their child. So that those are the kinds of solutions for people who are, who, who are, who, who, who want to have a child or, or have, or yep. are wanting to play a major role in their, in their, in their child's life. The, the group uh, in of, of, um, of the group of people, parents who are bringing children into the world and they're just simply not ready, um, probably in many cases by their own account, have a child. I, 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 I just don't know what we are able to do about that. I mean, I guess, you know, it's, I think it's just, it's got to be just a matter of chipping away, you know, for example, if, and this is something actually I haven't seen, getting big stars of one sort or another to start speaking out uh, on this issue. Um, getting that. Bill, Cos getting Bill Cosby the, did many years ago. <laughs> Remember, Bill Cosby started talking about. I mean, he wasn't well, talking about. I mean, we have yeah. had a lot of success in in limiting teen pregnancy, and I guess yeah. the question is like, how do we, you know, what is yeah. the message for even adults who, you know, you know, full grown adults who are who are really not ready? And that's, you know, some of the some of the stuff you're talking about with the, you know, prenatal programming could at least, you know give them a little bit more information about parenting. But, um, but, you know, as you said, in those cases, there may be, you know, more of a necessity for, you know, the, the, the high quality childcare, because those parents are not, you know, able to, or willing to do the kind of interactions that support the brain development that, that you want to see. Um, so, yeah, I mean, just, I, I think just the, the approach that you have of just kind of thinking of these, uh, of the, of parents in America and kind of just, distinct, discrete, different groups, um, that not that one solution is not great for everyone. And, you know, the whole like, let's make universal this and let's make universal that not only, you know, is the price tag astronomical, but it may not be the thing that each particular family needs. And so that's, that's, a, I think, that's really a important place to and, start. And in some instances, it might be replacing yeah. the role of the exactly. organic family. Exactly. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. I mean, the fact of the matter is that children are, we're our baby, young children are hardwired to develop in small, stable groups of their familiar, loving people. And you can try to recreate that in a non-parental environment, a non-family environment, but those conditions are just simply most likely to happen in a family. So if what we're trying to do is to improve the quality of early care and education, increasing the role of families in providing that is the first thing we need to be thinking about doing. Right. right. Um, but I do think that to your point, Naomi, that, you know, we do tend to, you know, each one of these problems is sort of a so. So, you know, you could think it's so daunting. You can, you can just, you can spend your, all of your, you know, your, your bandwidth on that one problem. So for example, 
the single, you know, people who are, are un, babies born to unmarried parents or low income working people or, you know, career professionals or whatever it is. But there are these different segments. And if, if what we do, if we put and promoting child well-being at the center of our focus, so everything we're thinking about is how do we make things better for young children? There's a range of different situations and the way that we're going to make things better for young children is going to vary depending on the situation. Right. Very drastically depending on the situation. Well, we're excited that uh, that your new think tank is on the scene uh, to be researching and writing about these important issues and influencing both policy and maybe sometimes the culture, too. Um, so thank you so much, Catherine Stevens, for joining us. This has been another episode of Are You Kidding Me? You can get episodes of this podcast on the AEI podcast channel or wherever you get your podcast. So with that, I am Naomi Schaefer-Riley. And I'm Ian Rowe. Catherine, congratulations. This is really important work. Thank you. Thank you both so much.